Should you take that? Yeah. (laughs) I'm Allie Grant. And I'm just you. Welcome to Follow Me, your resource for all things influencer. Brought to you by B Social Group. Now, let's see who we're following this week. I think one of the most important things, like the first hire you make should be somebody who has like no overlap. Like for me, that's an operator. Like my first hire is an operator, systems thinker, supply chain. Hey guys, and welcome back to the Follow Me podcast, your resource for all things influencer marketing. Today, we are so excited to chat with Diana Cohen, founder and CEO of Crown Affair, a hair care brand empowering people to redefine their relationship with their hair through accessible luxury products, guidance, and community. Diana is like my new best friend, FYI, everyone. Oh my gosh, do you tell? Yeah, like we're best friends. So I followed her on Instagram. I'm not sure if she's followed me back yet, but that's okay. She's so smart and eloquent. And like, I don't know, I just really enjoyed talking with her. I was like, you'll have to listen to it because you weren't there. But <laughs> it's just like a solo train over here. It's just like a, For you know. There's at home, if you don't know already, I have a job that Allison pays me to do. <laughs> That doesn't really include this podcast. Um, This is valid. This is valid. But I think that people like your opinion, though, on the podcast. No one just wants to hear me the whole time. I feel like you always say really good things. You have like good little tidbits, little nuggets. Thank you so much. I needed that. I needed that validation. What is your favorite hair care brand? My favorite hair care brand actually is Way. I've been using their detox shampoo and... I don't know if this is TMI, but I got an itchy scalp. I got eczema. Oh, yeah. You've got like some things going on there. Eczemas. And I love it. It's like really changed my hair or my scalp at least. I'm like working on my hair journey. And then another question regarding hair. What is your favorite hair care partnership you've done for a client? I would say GHD with Alex Michael May. That was like, that's an ambassadorship program. But I feel like they give a lot of creativity for like hairstyles, content breaks. I love it when a brand just kind of like lets the influencer do their thing and has like a few talking points or like a product focus, but really lets the creator kind of like shine. So my favorite hair care brand, you know, I'm on a clean journey. I like this brand called Rahua. It's a clean beauty brand. You can get it like Credo and Detox Market and things like that. I really like it. But when I'm feeling kind of naughty, I will use Oribe Gold Lust or Lust Gold or something. Cause it's not a clean brand. I mean Oribe's great, but and then my favorite hair partnership, since I'm asking myself these questions, <laughs> I have worked with L'Oreal for the past like five years with Whitney Carson as a L'Oreal League ambassador. And they obviously have hair care and I just love those partnerships and the content Whitney makes for them is always like incredible. So that would be mine. In this episode we learn about starting your own hair care brand or like D2C brand. She's worked at like Away and all these really good brands. She's got a lot of experience. She also had her own marketing agency before starting her brand. So just a good episode to learn a little bit about starting your own brand. Also, she talks a little bit about mentoring and managing a team and what that's like. That's where I felt like I just got really inspired. She has a leadership coach that helps her like navigate business, which is like, how did I never think of getting that? But she had like all these little like good nuggets of like quotes and information and all these things. And I was like, I could just keep talking to her forever. 
Diana Cohen is the founder and CEO of Crown Affair, a hair care brand empowering people to redefine their relationship with their hair through accessible luxury products, guidance, and community. In an industry that's been driven by professional lines, style, and color, Crown Affair is about mindful care, natural beauty, and most importantly, taking your time. Prior to Crown Affair, Diana founded Levitate, a brand marketing agency where she led initiatives for brands including Harry's, Outdoor Voices, Yumi, The Wing, and more. Diana is part of Forbes 30 Under 30 for the class of 2019. She resides between Miami and New York with her husband, Alexander. Let's get into the episode. Microphone is very professional. I imagine you do a lot of podcasts. I enough, at least once a month. And I just hit a point where I was like, I should get a microphone. It's like a cheapy one. It was like 50 bucks or something on Amazon. But yeah, I feel like you should have a podcast. That could be something for you to kind of evolve into. I've definitely thought about it. I recently launched a Substack newsletter because that's like a great place for me to brain dump. But I just find that like, would it be boring? Does the world need me like yes. to tell them? You know, I'm like, it feels a little late on the podcast game. If you're already doing it, keep going with it. But TBD. There's always room for new people and whatever, new platforms. I also love your TikTok. And I feel like as an owner of a company myself too, it's like I always encourage other brand founders to put themselves out there and like go on TikTok or whatever platform makes sense for you. What made you decide to do that and like talk us through that? Okay, so my favorite thing is to talk to people about their hair. And just in general, I love talking to people about what makes them excited, what makes them curious. And it's so hard. I'm like not an influencer by trade. I'm like the last person to want to like record an authentic thing, which is maybe why I'm hesitant to do podcasts, but like I love them too. But the way that I talk about hair is very different than like a traditional stylist. It is more around like all the touch points of your life and daily care. And my team kept calling me like the hair care bestie. So it was like, how do I like bottle up that feeling of like, hey, I actually get how you like move through the world in your life. And like, maybe you're doing a Pilates class and not washing your hair after. Or maybe you want to figure out how, like just how we actually take care of ourselves and our hair or like how we spend our Sundays and thinking, I don't know, it's just a more human way to do it. I wouldn't say it's unnatural to me. I like TikTok. Yeah, you're really good at it. If It seems natural to you. <laughs> I'm just so not like content creator, influencer by trade. And I feel grateful to like have the brand and always have the brand be bigger than me. But I do find that it's like such a fun way to connect with our community. And I've met people from TikTok, like customers. I've met them in real life when they come down to Miami or in New York. I've been come by the office. So it's definitely a different energy than Instagram where like Instagram is more of an existing social graph. I feel like TikTok is just like a whole new audience. And it's funny, I have friends who are like, you know, a little older than me or have been in the industry and they're like, I want to get on TikTok. And a friend this weekend was like, should I follow everybody in my contacts? And I'm like, no, don't do that. Like, keep it pure. Like you're going to find your people like that are interested in what you're doing and you're going to find people like, like don't just like keep, I think that's what's so special about it. Cause it's like, my people who want hair care tips and want to talk about life. And it's, I'm not posting most of what I post on there on Instagram. I don't know if you feel the same. Oh, I know. No, I totally feel the same way. Like I just started TikToking too, like doing creator tips and things like that. I would never post that stuff on my Instagram. Like my Instagram, I am like aesthetic blogger girl, like chic. And I would be so embarrassed to be posting the like other content there. I don't know. That's just me though. They're very different and very different audiences. 
It's so funny when I first started to get on TikTok, which was like admittedly late. I mean, now it'll it'll be like a year that I've been on it, I think since August. So I've been on it for less than a year, which is kind of crazy to say because it feels like it's been way longer than that. But it was kind of late. Like if, you know, people who were on it had already kind of like blown up and created a foundation. But it was so funny to me because I've been in the influencer and community game for over a decade now. And it was like this influx of just like totally new influencers. And I would discover these people on TikTok, right? So I would like get to quote know them and their tone of voice and how they talk. And then I would click their little Instagram button and I'd be like, that's not her. Like, this is a totally different girl. Like, like the Instagram vibes were like immaculate. And at the time, this is when people were just like taking photos of like olive bowls and like white wine glasses. It was like literally last August. And then I would go to their TikTok and it was just so real and fun and raw. And I feel like there's probably a little bit more overlap between my Instagram and TikTok because I'm always someone who like my physical footprint will be more meaningful than my digital one. So my digital one isn't really my identity. It's more of like remnants of who I am. So I don't have such distinction, I guess I would say. I was genuinely shocked and thrilled to see like how people are building communities as influencers and content creators, which is a totally different way than when I started back in the early 2010s. Yeah. And I feel like TikTok is such a lead generator or like I've noticed that like in an incredible way. I've never had so many inquiries based off just doing like a few TikTok videos. Instagram, you just don't get that reach anymore at all. You have a megaphone and you're shouting to the same people and TikTok is so incredible. I mean, it exploded the business for like a business. I mean, Crown Affair to me is not like a trend driven brand. It's very timeless in so many ways. And one of the things I'm most proud of is just like the range of our customer base. It's truly like 18 to 81. You know, it's like, it's not just for a certain generation. With that though, like once we started posting on TikTok and once I started posting on TikTok, you just started to hear people be like, oh, I saw that air dry technique on TikTok. It's like, all those little things, or we'd go into a Sephora and the beauty advisors would be like, yeah, people are coming in saying that they saw the dry shampoo on TikTok. And it's like, if I put the same content on Instagram, it wouldn't matter. You know, it's like clearly the place and the location and the setting and the intention of your energy when you go to TikTok is just such a different... People don't talk about like intention enough, like when you're in these spaces on social media. And I think that your willingness to learn and your just appetite for curiosity for me at least is so much higher on TikTok where Instagram it's a little bit more like mindless performative you know it's 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 still fun and I love the DM but I don't know I think TikTok's a very special place so yeah are you guys on there as a brand as well we are and candidly like people see it it comes in people's feeds i think across the board most people don't really want to follow brands on most social platforms unless you're doing something really unique so my tiktok definitely performs better in terms of like people just feeling more connected to the brand that was part of why i started it i was just like even if i went on the brand which i could do i mean there's a lot of founders who do that i think it's nice to have a balance though between the brand founder it's not the same cuz i want to talk about stuff that informs how i'm building the business and my own identity like totally outside of just the brand itself your content was coming up in my feed probably because i like to follow like founders and things like that but i was like oh my god this is just so good very impressed oh, <laughs> i think it means a lot <laughs> yeah <laughs> we've actually met in person before we met in 2019 we were on a panel together for create and cultivate it was like right before the pandemic it was like early march i think 
Was it in LA? Yeah, it was downtown LA at that like garden. We were on the, I was moderating the panel, I think. Okay. That's probably why. Cause I'm like, I know there was a Shake Shack girl, a Volvo girl, a Pinterest person. I'm like remembering the panelists. Okay. You were, host- you were moderating it. Amazing. Moderating it. Yeah. So I was asking the questions. Yeah. The Shake Shack girl, which I'm like very impressed by her role. But yeah, I think at the time you had newly started Crown Affair. Is that right? Did you start the company in 20? 20- couple weeks old. Yeah. Really? Yeah. We launched January 28th of 2020. That Create and Cultivate event was like mid-Feb. So we were less than four weeks old. Like I think it was week three of the business that I came out and did Create and Cultivate. And then COVID happened three weeks later. So we, we had six weeks in the world live before the pandemic. That could have either been a really good thing for the business or really bad. Like how did you feel about that? I mean, at the time, I think everybody was just uncertain and like, what is happening? In hindsight, it's definitely been overall positive. But, you know, I've worked in consumer marketing for over a decade and it's like spreading the gospel, you know, like you have to be on the ground, spreading the word, connecting with people. That Create and Cultivate event was so powerful because yes, like when you launch a brand, like the first few days are exciting and you get a ton of orders and people supporting you, but it kind of starts to taper off after week two. And you're like, okay, 12 orders a day. Like, you know, you're just rooting for anything. And that create and cultivate event was amazing because I think we did like almost a hundred orders that day in person and got to talk to all these customers. We had a physical booth build out. Like that was a very impactful event for us. And is a testament to how powerful brick and mortar and experiential and pop-ups can be for not only from a revenue perspective, but just building a connection with the customer. So coming off of that high into the world, totally shutting down was like, how am I going to get the word out there? You know, I came from all these brands that had such big physical footprints, like Away and Outdoor Voices and Harry's. And so much of what I knew was like being in the field and just spreading that gospel and I'm not a celebrity. I'm not an influencer. You know, before COVID, I'd never even talked to camera in my life. Like, like I was a normal person. I would take photos on vacation and post photos of myself. But like, I wasn't talking to a camera. I wasn't explaining what I was doing. So I kind of feel like the last generation of founders that's like not influencer celebrity driven. And we're kind of like founder class 3.0. Like I worked for the Emily Weisses and the Jen Rubios and all these people. And I'm kind of like class 3.0 of consumer founders. But I genuinely think the last class of people who has been like formally trained in like brand and marketing from that decade of D2C, because now it's such a digital first environment in terms of social. So I kind of came with like, you know, the gatekeepers and establishment. Like when I went to NYU, all I wanted to do was work for Anna Wintour, you know, and I really was trained by from the establishment and working with people like seven days a week around the clock building businesses. And then, you know, when I launched Crown Affair, it just was like, everything kind of hit the wall, like the world in general. And I think it was an amazing thing ultimately because it allowed us to put people first and to be really intentional and mindful. It's ironic in a way because I built the entire brand around time. You have to remember this, it's almost three, it's over three and a half years ago now, really. Like, I mean, I've been working on the brand for four years in August and at that time, it was just like clean and sustainable. <laughs> we're a clean brand and we're sustainable and we're for this. And as somebody who really deeply respects 
building a brand and brand heritage, I know that those are not brand pillars, but those are product promises. And with that, I really anchored the entire brand around time and taking your time. And right, there's products that come from that and there's a whole visual literacy that comes from it. But it was kind of crazy all of a sudden, you know, not everybody, unfortunately, but a lot of people all of a sudden found themselves with a lot of time at home and not being able to run to their salons and not being able to run to their stylists or get their blowout one to two times a week. And it really reoriented the entire conversation around changing your mindset about how you are going to take the time for your hair, not out of frustration, but out of care. And it's so funny because like even three plus years in, we see a lot of brands riffing on this and kind of entering the market with that messaging now, which I'm super happy because ultimately it's just good for the category, you know, a category that's been so driven by like styling and color and salon and damage. And I mean, the category is still owned by brands that are telling you to fix yourself, you know, and repair and fix versus being like, how do I actually get to the root of what's happening? It's the same with nutrition. It's the same with journaling or any consistent rituals you have. It's like these overnight miracles are often too good to be true and they actually don't create a sustainable ritual. You have your hair with you your whole life and like taking the time to really like understand it and care for it. So, you know, that like opened up a whole world in a way that I don't think we would have been able to if we just kept like running, you know, on the ground, going, 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 you know, without the pause in our lives. So, you know, it's also challenging. I feel lucky on one hand too, because I had a lot of people be like, how did you scale back, you know, when COVID hit? I'm like, there were three of us, there was nothing to scale. Like, you know, I do really feel for a lot of the people who were already in market for years and years and years and had to figure it out. At the same time, I think time in market is one of the most valuable things as a beauty brand. Like the truth is, is like, no matter how strong our marketing is, how incredible the products are, like it takes so much time for people to change their behaviors around beauty, especially when it comes to hair care products. A lot of people, you do customer interviews and they're like, oh, I'm using whatever's in the shower. I'm using whatever my stylist gave me years ago. And it's like, wait, hold on a second. Like you've taken the time to really be intentional with your skincare, your makeup, but like you're still using this, like you're still using this aerosol spray where the formulation was from 2011. Like, you know, it's just so crazy. So I think we're on a very long journey. And my hope is that it all feels like an overnight success, but I genuinely do believe we're like the first brand to really preach this whole new mindset shift and we're getting more and more people on board with it. So it's so clear that you are such a marketer from everything the brand does, you do, like it's all very intentional. Before Crown Affair, you had your own marketing agency, correct? Yeah, I did. Levitate. I still pay my annual LLC fee and like keep it open just in case one day, do you want to do Levitate again? But no, I do. have. I, I don't know how people have multiple brands or do all this stuff. I'm like, one brand is enough. But yeah, no, I was at a way full time. And after a way, I left and started my own brand agency, Levitate, which was primarily focused on go-to-market strategies for like, whether that was a product launch or a brand launch, for example, launching Flamingo, Harry's women's line, or it could have just been like go-to-market strategies. I worked with Outdoor Voices. Obviously, Ty had built that brand for many years prior to me joining, but launched so many collections, new stores, just like all of the strategies for that. I built out their influencer ambassador and affiliate program, ran their Slack channel, like all of that really community-driven work. Did that for two years and really nights and weekends started working on Crown Affair, but I've only ever worked at startups. Like I've always been obsessed with consumer behavior and 
you know, part of it's just the timing of my life. If I was 10, maybe even five years older than I am, I probably would have gone to a publication and tried to be an editor. But the writing was very much on the wall when I graduated college in 2013. And I was working at Intel Gloss at the time and the internet was happening. So I feel really grateful to be an early employee and part of the founding teams of a lot of the D2C brands that really grew from the last decade. Yeah. And like you were saying, a lot of those brands use brick and mortar, you know, tactics, in-person tactics, pop-ups, all of the things that you probably had tons of experience in. And then with COVID happening, you're like, how do I pivot this strategy? What was the first thing you leaned into for Crown Affair? Was that obviously influencer marketing and social to get the word out? There were two things we did. So our influencer marketing early on, it has changed a lot since we've launched just by nature of social changing so much the last three years. It's I, I honestly haven't seen this much change in the category or just in digital in general, like over the last 10 years. I feel like the last year and a half has been absolutely amazing and incredible. But when I launched the brand, it was all about influential people. And I always tell people this, when you're like launching a brand into the world, you're only going to do it once. And I've been thinking about PR in a really different way for the last five years. But like, it's just about storytelling and creating this perfect storm. So when we launched and even like beyond into COVID, it was still about gifting people who have true influence as like tastemakers, editors, that has totally changed now. It's people who have huge digital footprints. Like if they shut off their social channels, you might actually have no idea who they are. I mean, maybe they live in other parts of the country, but they're really connected with their audiences and it's that's their core business. You know, influential gifting was really important in the beginning. I also just think to building like a true prestige brand and being at Violet Gray, being at Goop, Sephora came a year later. Like I wanted to make sure that people who are experts in beauty in particular, like could really authentically speak to the product. I think the challenge with the influencer landscape now, by the way, myself included, it's like, I'm really good with hair care products, but like, I'm still learning when it comes to like brow products or makeup products. Like I'm not an expert. And I do think that there's like value in building trust in like the first couple months, at least of when you're building a brand, just for anybody out there, like who's thinking about building a brand. And it will really help too, from a PR perspective, because Prior to launching, like editors were like, who are you? What are what are you doing? You're not like a stylist. You're not going to like blow out my hair. And like traditional editors were very confused. And it was our gifting strategy with influencers. Like that Thursday before launching on Tuesday, we had like, Vogue was like, maybe we'll include it in a roundup. And like, maybe, you know, it was like very TBD. All of the gifting rolled out that Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. By Monday, I was on the phone with like 10 different editors being like, we want to do a whole feature story on this. Yeah. So I think influencers still and community, but like these are people I've built relationships with over 10 years. You know, it wasn't like random reaching out. So I always say relationships are like the most key part, I think, of building and launching a brand with go to market. The two things we really had to pivot on was figuring out how to cover the same I call it like surface area of special, but digitally. So the first one was like, I just started talking to camera. <laughs> like I literally just turned the phone around and was like, hi, I'm Diana. And like, here's the vision. You know, I've been preaching this for so long. This started from a Google doc with friends. I'm obsessed with hair care in general, like totally outside of Crown Affair. I'm so passionate about hair. I think it's like one of the coolest fibers on our body. Like it's like literally like the leftover fur on humans. Like there's just so much crazy, fascinating stuff about hair and getting people to think about it differently. 
The other really impactful community thing that we did was our mentorship program. So I've been very, very blessed to have mentors in my life that are rocks for me. And when COVID hit, so we'd been in the world for a little bit, but a couple, I guess maybe three months, because this was like April at this point, we had a lot of young people reaching out about advice, if they're doing internships, are we hiring? Because especially for college graduates in 2020, it was a scary time. And Elaine, who's my now president, who's been with me for almost four years now too, she's amazing. We were like, I can't take phone calls to all these people. Like we have dozens and dozens. How do we scale this? And at the same time, I had women like us who were like, how can I give back? Yes, I'm donating, helping my immediate community, but like there has to be a way for me to like give back. And we put together the Seedling Mentorship Program, which is an eight-week program where we pair mentors and mentees. They get on a call once a week. We provide them with prompts. We do, now we have in real life meetups, but at the time it was, we would do Zooms with all of us and introduce ourselves. And we, I, we literally put it on Instagram. I was like, nobody's going to sign up for this. I hope like eight people sign up for this mentorship program. Within 24 hours, we had over 250 applications from both mentors and mentees. And Elaine and I literally got a bottle of wine and post-it notes and like printed out the spreadsheet and like matched everybody. And to this day, like not only are those some of our strongest people in our community who like aren't influencers, by the way, they're just like real girls who like graduated from college or like amazing CMOs. And like that to me is so incredible from a community perspective is like just authentic community. And some of those people are our best customers just in terms of like value, like gifting their friends and their moms and their sisters and just continuing to spread the word for us. So I feel like Seedling and our mentorship program and just starting to be more vulnerable on camera without making the brand about me at all were like the two biggest pivots that were not on the menu when I was planning the good market strategy, you know? Yeah. And you said you had three people on your team when you launched. Was someone running social or was that you like creating the content and the assets and all of that? It was basically me and my friend Kelsey, who I worked with at Away. So when I launched Crown Affair, I think one of the most important things, like the first hire you make should be somebody who has like no overlap. Like for me, that's an operator. Like my first hire is an operator, systems thinker, supply chain. Like Elaine is the left brain and I am the right brain. So she was my first hire. Everybody else was a contractor. And I learned this from being a contractor, basically, you know, consulting, but like it's essentially just hiring a contractor. You get super talented people, like people you would not be able to afford and people who are talented enough that they realize they want the flexibility in their life. So I was like, how can I create an Avengers team of contractors? And one of those people was my friend, Kelsey, who we worked at Away together. She was at Away for like three years. She ran social there. She left. I knew she wasn't looking again to full time. And I was like, help me launch this brand. Like, obviously you're not the forever person, but it was me and Kelsey and Ben, who's done our PR for three years. I also met him at Away. We like, he started a couple of weeks before me, my creative director show, who was our art director at Away. Like I built this little Avengers team of people that I've been in the trenches with before and they were all doing freelance now. So it was really just me and Elaine full time. And then we had some like part, you know, we had an intern who was at NYU who was helping with like, mailer things, but it was, it was a very lean team. And to this day, I mean, we're 15 people now full time and it feels big, but it's also like still very efficient and very lean for where we are. 
Mm-hmm. 15. That's like a good, it's a good size. But it's also like the point which I feel like you as a founder, CEO, kind of start to feel like detached. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's just there's so many people at that point. I don't know. Do you feel that? Like that's the, that was the number of employees that I felt like I was more. How many people do you have? Well, we have just under 20 now, but we're like coming together with another company, which we're working closely with. So we're going to be over 50. Wow. Which that's huge. That is like huge, huge. But at the point I'm now it's like, especially with COVID and not always being in the office every day, like I don't know everyone personally on my team in the same way like I used to. And I think it was honestly at that point where we got to like 10 people and you start building hierarchy, you know, where people, not everyone's not reporting into me anymore, you know? So it's just like a different, it's a different vibe. Totally. You know what it is? I don't feel detached. I just have there is a point where your company gets to a certain size where you're genuinely not, you do not have the capacity to make every decision anymore. So you have to empower other people to do things for you, right? It's like, I would love to do it all. I love the early days of being scrappy, but I can't make every decision on Sephora displays and I can't make every decision with like a certain partnership anymore. Like, so it's just, it's all about trust and Candidly, I came from environments that like, on one hand, I'm super grateful I was trained by some of the most amazing female leaders from the last decade. At the same time, very fear-based environments that were not rooted in trust. And I've had to do a lot of coaching and therapy and learning. And like, Levitate was honestly one of the most cathartic experiences for me in terms of like, letting go and surrendering. And my whole goal, I mean, especially with Elaine, it's like you don't retain great talent if you don't empower and trust them. And yeah, you might do something a little differently, but like you just have to let go. And I've fully done that. And sometimes it's not perfect. And, you know, we call it like the 80%, 20%. So like I'll kind of kick off stuff, right? Like set the tone, set the vibes, set the vision for whatever it is. And then the team takes it to like the 80, 90% mark. And then I wrap it up with a bow, the last 10 to 15%. So we have a good flow. But yeah, no, I mean, during that, like taking it from 10 to 80, if you will, like you just simply can't do it. It has to be somebody else. So that's really beautiful. I will say the one, one of the many benefits of hybrid remote work, because I actually live in Miami. Most of our team is in New York. I have four girls in LA. We're an all-female team, which I love. Everybody's just awesome. It sounds so crazy, but it's all about balance and like empowering people. And there's no like gossiping. There's no drama. Like everybody's just a good human. And I'm like, go on vacation, live your life. Like I really hire for enthusiasm and curiosity. Like I don't want people to work on Saturday. I don't want to work on Saturday, but I want you to see something on social media or at a museum that you go to and like send it to the group team chat, you know, to be like, this reminded me of Crown Affair because you're genuinely just like, it's important to you that you're doing something that fulfills you. So we really try to hire for that. With that though, because I'm not in office every day, when I'm with my team at every level, the most junior person to the most senior person, like I'm present with them. So even though there is a hierarchy and most of the team doesn't report into me anymore, and I have fewer direct reports, when I'm sitting with like our junior copywriter, it's like we are fully present together and there's no logistical stuff. It is just like, hey, let's go get coffee and pop by this gallery show in the Lower East Side by our office together for an hour and a half, you know, and like build a relationship. So then when we show up on Zoom calls or we show up for a meeting, it's like we have that 
empathy. And I think that is the most important thing to solve for when you're thinking about hybrid work culture. It's not so much like, yes, it's a little bit of the creative free, free, free flowing ideas that I do think don't get captured. But honestly, the biggest thing about not being in person is that it's really hard to develop empathy for people. So you really, as a leader, have to create the time and structures in your life in the same way that you would with working out, journaling, all of this to like really get to know your team. Because those moments of osmosis are so powerful. And there, I forget who said it. I really need to remember. But there's a quote that's like, you can teach a man to build a ship, but what you really should is teach them to long for the sea because there's such a bigger purpose in meeting. It's like, yes, you can be like, we're building the ship and here's how the ship is built and we're going to build the ship. But it's like, there's such a bigger purpose and meaning. And I think that's how you really get the most out of people. And ultimately know too that like, I think being realistic about being a leader is really important. We have young people who come in and I know that they'll probably be with us for like two and a half years, you know? And by the way, that's like a pretty long time for like a young person, but it's like, you're going to graduate. You need to go somewhere else. And that's also because the company's growing, like the role that you're doing and wearing all these hats, like we're going to need a specialist in two and a half years for this. So I really think about every person's role on our team and their journey with Crown Affair and how it can really empower them. Like I want people to, especially our younger team members, to like learn, grow, get really good habits and then go somewhere else and be like a huge bonus for that business and like thrive there. And, you know, we've had people who are like have graduated because it's just like time and it's been two and a half years or three years. And they're like, I miss this culture. And I'm like, I know that we're doing something right because of that. That being said, as a, you know, employee eight or employee 13 and all these other businesses, I do feel like it was around 35 or 40 employees and team members that I started to feel disconnected. I feel like the first 30 you're still like in the trenches together. And even though you're not like spending time with everybody and getting lunch or coffee walks, like you still from like a tribal perspective are very much on the same frequency. I do feel like once you hit like 50 people, let's call it, it becomes a different frequency. It just changes. And that's the whole thing about startups. Like I have friends who've worked at startups and have gone back to working at like L'Oreal or wherever, huge corporate companies, because that's just like more of a fit for them. And I think I'm somebody who's really addicted to having a direct impact and seeing my work come to life and seeing customers and community members like respond to the work that I'm doing. So I know that will change. And as the business grows, that will continue to get further and further. But then it's just about being really strategic and like hiring the right team who can like fill in those gaps to like get you to the next place of growth. Yeah. Well, you have a very good perspective on work culture. And no, like that was extremely interesting to hear because I think for me, who also kind of came from like more like, I don't know, not toxic. I hate that word toxic, but you know, just kind of like this like hustle mentality and then trying to start my own company off of that. But that's all I knew, you know, and I was so young starting my company. It was very difficult for me to build culture and to be a good mentor and manager to my team. And I think it was just lack of experience and just being so young. But like the last couple of years, I've invested my own knowledge in learning more about this. And it it pays off. And at the end of the day, it's like the best management styles, like be empathetic and be a good person. Like, I feel like we watched all these like movies and read all these books about what it is to be like a powerful woman in corporate America. I hate that. Like, I hate that so much. It is all masculine energy. I have so many thoughts on this. And like being bitchy. It's like, no, 
Why no, is being bitchy make you powerful? It's not it's, it. It's the it's not it. It's the opposite. The way that I'm talking about it now, please do not mistake that I learned this overnight. I you know it was. 10 years of coming from those cultures that were driven by masculine energy and masculine energy is like bulldoze, go, go, go. And feminine energy is what my leadership coach calls the no splashing zone. And it's like, you're going down a river. It is going fast. It's crazy. There are bumps. Like you could freak out the whole way and splash and be crazy, or you could just not splash and find some peace. You're going down the river anyway. And it's just about creating space for that and like leading with empathy and giving things time and space. And, you know, on one hand, it's easy for me because as again, like whole brand is anchored around time. So it's like, I can't tell people to take their time if I'm not taking my time. So that's like a built-in bumper for me is like, I can't lead with the masculine energy at all. And I genuinely don't want to live my life that way anymore. But no, I mean, it's taken years to get to this place. And candidly, when I had Levitate, I was fortunately self-aware enough to know that I was not ready or mature enough to lead a team. And people would keep asking me, don't you want to grow your agency? I was getting client inbounds, referrals. And I had to make a very clear decision, like two of the pillars that I wrote down when I started Levitate in terms of keeping my focus on why I started was creating my own schedule and choosing who I worked with. And those were my guiding pillars of like, no matter what, I want to be able to be where I want to be when I want to be. I can pop into Harry's. I can pop into Outdoor Voices. But like, I don't have to be in an office at any point at any time. And like, that's not my job. And then like, candidly, one of the challenges of being at these high growth startups is I'd start as like an early employee. And then a year later, it was like 85 people and the company had changed so much. And I just felt like I wasn't able to hold on to kind of that special. And I just knew, I was like, I don't really want to hire a team. I don't want to manage people. I'd rather have three amazing clients and do the work that I love doing than building an agency. And again, I just don't think I was mature. Like I would have taken on a team member and I wouldn't have had the understanding or, or grace. And candidly, I think the pandemic has like foundationally transformed me as a human and all of us hopefully as a human in realizing that like the before ways of doing things were not really sustainable. We were living in a culture of like move fast and break things. And I've learned that those things are not things that they're people. And I was once a broken person and it really is, I have no interest in doing that. And it's, it's challenging because on the other hand, like, I don't think you or I would be who we are without coming from that place. Like it's really hard to start something. You have to be borderline like delusional. You have to be like, I'm going to do this no matter what. And every day I'm going to wake up and I'm going to create this thing. And I do think part of that motivation came from the masculine energy in the world that I lived in before. But now I have this, this quote up on my wall on a post-it note, nothing fancy that says, what got you where you are, isn't going to get you where you need to go. And I really think what got me here, you just have to change. And it is that like true growing pain and labor and daily self-work of shifting out of that masculine energy into the feminine energy in a world where the frequency is still very much operating in the former. Mic drop. <laughs> Honestly, I'm like, can you be my leadership coach? Like, I'm what? Here it. It's all just respectful <laughs> knowledge and lots of journaling that has gotten me yeah, here. Yeah, <laughs> I like, I need to like recalibrate because I am like, I'm kind of in this like, 
well, I don't know. You, I feel like you go through waves just like you do as like an employee or anything through life. Like as like a founder and CEO, I'm just kind of in the, you go through ups and downs and I'm like, I feel like I'm just in this like hard place right now. Like need to get out of it. It's okay though. I have days that are brutal. I have days where I'm like, oh my gosh. And then the next day is totally fine. That's the journey. You know, it's, it's that the highs and lows and the ebbs and flows. And I always say this, it's like the gym. You like just have to show up every day. And like some days you'll work out and be like, that was the best workout. I feel so good. Like I'm going to crush my day. And some days you're at the gym and you're like on the treadmill or whatever you're doing. And you're like, I do not want to be here. This is terrible. But it's like, you have to go because most people, they just stop showing up. That's why things stop. You know, you just have to show up. You need a podcast. You need like your own like journal with all your quotes that you say, because these are incredible and truly so inspiring. This is hard. And yeah, I, I love my founder friendships and friendships with my community and people like you, because we need to let that wall down and just be honest about what it takes to do this every day. Like I kind of laugh all the time. It's funny. We were talking about Instagram earlier, but like, I know what it takes to like post the things that look fabulous. And like, I know what life is actually like. And the second that you realize that like, we are all the same and everyone is feeling these things. And it like, then you are able to just kind of like, like release and like, realize that like, nobody's fooling anyone, you know? What do they say about like Instagram posts? It's just like the, what is that term that everyone says? The highlight reel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just so true. But TikTok, we can just go like raw and just do whatever we want to do, which is fun. Totally, (laughs) totally. But this was incredible. Thank you for joining. Where can people follow you? I'm like, I just need to, I need um, to get off so I can go cry. <laughs> Let's go cry together. I'm here for like an emotional, supportive cry. I mean, on my personal channels, it's Diana Cohen, Diana with two N's, D-I-A-N-N-A-C-O-H-E-N. Love when people send me notes or DM me. I'm like very responsive there. That's how I do this. I'm just like, I love just like connecting with people and building things. So please send me notes if this inspired you. And then Crown Affair, crownaffair.com, Crown Affair on Instagram, TikTok, all of it. And I love that we like didn't talk about the product or hair care or anything at all. This makes it, I mean, it's, I could talk about that forever and I think about it all the time, but truly it is a man, like, I feel like the product is a manifestation. Like, I feel like if someone listens to this, they will just know that I would never launch anything into the world that isn't like actually intentional and good. And I'm not just doing this. And, but yeah, we're at Sephora's, Sephora.com, we're at Goop and Violet Gray and lots of great stores. And if you do ever want to chat about hair care, I'm also here to discuss hair care. (laughs) I love it. Thank you for joining us. This was great. Thanks for having me. 